Psalm. My name is Aaron, one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Psalm 128, verse 1, and it says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Let's pray. Father, today we come to you and we ask that we would understand the blessings that you have given us in our lives, that we'd be a thankful people who realize all of the benefits that you have brought to us, most notably our salvation, that you have brought us back into relationship with you. And then we would live out our lives as they glorify you and we would love and serve one another in these steps of discipleship that you lead us through. God, teach us to be a people who are truly a blessing. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are doing this series through this thing called the Songs or the Psalms of Ascent. That is Psalm 120 through 134. I got the idea years ago when I read through this book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And it's interesting that he stole that title all the way from Nietzsche, actually, and he repurposed it to be about discipleship, which was actually kind of cool. Cool. And that whole book, again, is about discipleship, about being a people who increasingly trust God and follow Him. Because discipleship is ultimately about living our lives. It's not just knowledge about God. Discipleship is how we live with God every day, relationship of hope and grace. And so these songs were originally recited by people who were going up to Jerusalem to worship God at one of their major feasts. And we've been going through them, repeating, remembering, listening to what God is saying to all of us so that we'd be able to understand what discipleship looks like. And so discipleships, can you, can you guys do this yet with me with all the things I keep giving you? Where does discipleship start? Repentance. I'm just going to walk through these. All right. I'll put them on the slides next week, and maybe you'll be there. But repentance, where we, which Mike said, return. We return to who God calls us to be. We return to who we are supposed to be, how he made us. And as we return, we trust God. That's the second step, trusting. We trust him for the provision that he has provided for us in Christ. And in trusting him, we stop listening to the, the lies of the world and the lies of ourselves when we listen to what God has said. Then out of that comes our worship of God, where we ascribe and acknowledge the worth that is due his name. And as we worship God, we want to live more like him in the world. And so we begin to serve those around us because God ser first served us in saving us. And then out of that service will naturally come our witness to those who are around us because we are serving them as God has first served us. And during that witness, sometimes things will get hard, and this leads into steadfastness or being a steadfast people. It doesn't mean we don't have anxiety, or we don't have fear or worries or anything like that, but it means that through all those things, we're going to trust what God has said and walk with Him each step of the journey. God is the one who is sure. God is the one who is steadfast. And many times we stumble, but God has us. And then walking with God in steadfastness ultimately leads to joy. And joy becomes as a byproduct of our relationship with God. And that then translates into how we do everything in life, especially our work, because we do our work with joy, not a angry, sad demeanor of why do I got to be at this place? It looks like a prairie dog city. I want to be someone who worships God in my work because work is a gift that God has given to all of us. Now, open your Bibles to Psalm 128. That is page 333 if you have an element Bible. And today we're going to look at re what results in our lives from trusting and walking with God. And this is this word called blessing. 
blessing. Now, blessing is a weird word today. We, a lot of people don't know what it means. We walk around, hashtag blessed. It's like, well, what does it really mean? People think that blessed means that we're happy. Guys, blessing is not about our happiness. It's our understanding of what God has ultimately done for us in the person of Christ, which can lead to feelings of happiness, but it's so much more. Just like joy, blessing comes as a byproduct of how God works in our lives as we walk with Him in discipleship and how He saves us. So, this is Psalm 128. I'm going to read this to you from the English Standard Version. Psalm 128, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see prosperity, the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Now, there are a lot of things in there that make a whole lot of sense to an earlier, early Israelite, not necessarily to a 2021 American, but I think it does relate. I have told you numerous times that these Psalms are in a section of the Bible that we call wisdom literature. And wisdom literature is to help us to be a people who are... Why? Oh, look at that. You didn't even say Jesus. You got the right answer in that one. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Wise. And how we do that is loving, honoring, respecting, walking with God in these in this ways of discipleship, and then our lives become blessed. Now, this can be in terms of what the psalm talks about, but it's actually so much more. When we read the word blessed, we have to see it in context of how Hebrews writers would have understood it, that our happiness will always be imperfect unless we're living for God's glory. And so that word blessing there means multiple things. One of them could be happy, but again, it's so much more. Now, what the psalm does is it has three descriptors on both sides of the psalm that reflect each other. So it starts off with the blesses everyone who fears the Lord. Then it goes into you shall be blessed, it shall be well with you. Then it will go into this thing that says enjoy the blessing or revel in the goodness. That's how Peterson actually translates that. And then it concludes with three more pronouncements, which are uh, God blesses those who fear him, that respect him, walk in his ways, enjoy the good life, enjoy Jerusalem or Zion, and then you will enjoy your children or grandchildren or children's children, is what it says there. And all those statements, there are these ideas of what an Israelite would have thought of as blessing. Walking with God, family, community, these things coming together. Peterson actually translates this like this. Uh, your wife will bear children as a vine bears grapes. Your household lush as a vineyard. The children around your table as fresh and promising as young olive shoots. Again, it's speaking about this thing as the good life, but if you don't understand really what it's pushing towards, you might think it sounds very weird. Like, you're blessed because she pops out kids. And it, just, it does sound a little odd to our modern ears today. But you have to understand, for men and women in that culture, that was seen as blessing. That was blessing. It's a life that experiences what God can actually bring to all of us as we walk with Him. And none of it was lasting, and none of it was real unless God was worshipped in the midst of it. And it's hard to see, but what the Psalms are doing is they're giving you like a thousand-foot view of what's going on. I was talking to someone yesterday, and they asked me this question. Well, the Psalm doesn't really talk about girls. It just says children or boys or things like that. Does it mean that girls aren't involved? No, it's giving you the thousand-foot view of how that culture was looking at things. Children, boys, girls, men, women. This is, could even be for singles and married and grandparents and people who don't have kids. It, it's the thousand foot view of what blessing ultimately you look towards, what God was going to do in your life. 
Now, sometimes today we think that we get blessed if we do certain things like follow God in the right ways, and it's like karma, then God gives you certain things that you want. And if you don't do what God wants you to do, then God squishes you like a bug, and he's very happy to do so because that's his favorite pastime. It, that is how it is preached in movies and TV shows that Christians are rule-following weirdos. My wife and I just watched this show on Netflix. It's supposed to be scary. It wasn't scary. It was just dumb. It's called Midnight Mass. And this whole thing, if you've even seen it, if you want to see scripture taken out of context, watch any episode of this show. Christians are a bunch of rule-following weirdos who don't know what to do with the Bible. They just quote weird things out of context when the, I'm gonna, I don't want to ruin the show for you, but it doesn't matter. It's just terrible. But Peterson, when he talks about this, he goes, nothing could be further from the truth. Christians aren't a bunch of rule-following weirdos. We follow and love and worship God in discipleship because that's the life that we were meant to live in. He writes this, being a Christian is what we were created for. The life of faith has the support of an entire creation and the resources of a magnificent redemption. The structure of this world was created by God so we can live in it easily and happily as his children. What he means is that God repeatedly comes and blesses his children, even though many times we, we run away from him. By God showing up over and over, he will do this in his person. He does this in miracles. He does this with other people coming alongside of us. God is constantly moving us back towards himself. And most notably, this comes obviously in the person of Jesus who comes to live the life that we can never live, to die the death that we all deserve to die, to bring us back to himself in relationship with him. Without Christ, we are doing life the hard way. With him, we're not doing it the easy way. We are doing it the right way. And that's not always easy, but it's the right way because as Christians, we are no longer lost, we are found. So I wanna spend some time talking about this word blessed that I think we so often misunderstand. I mean, blessed, today we use that for sneezes. I mean, that's weird right? Achoo, bless, bless you when someone sneezes. And actually almost all cultures in history have done this. They've used these words for blessed or blessing when someone sneezes. Romans would say, Jupiter preserve you. The Greeks would say long life. It meant bless you. That phrase, God bless you, is attributed to Pope Gregory the Great in the sixth century during the bubonic plague. Because when someone sneezed, that was a precursor to the plague. Still today, right? COVID, our plague. Achoo, ah. It's the weirdest thing when people see, like, I have allergies right now. I'm like, hope nobody thinks that my allergies are like COVID. Oh, it's going to, and you, you go to a restaurant, you drink some water. It goes down the wrong pipe. You're like, I can't cough. <laughs> Believe me, I know. I know. Uh, the Germans, they would say Gesundheit, which means health. The idea is that sneeze precedes illness. Uh, virtually in every country in the world has, has done this. In Arabic countries, they will use a phrase that means praise be to God, like that was a good sneeze, I guess. Hindus will say live or live well. Uh, Russian children are told budzarab, which means be healthy. In China, they use a phrase that means may you live a hundred years. Uh, some scholars believe that these sneeze responses originated because when people sneeze, they thought your, your soul exited your body and they would say bless you to stop the evil spirits from grabbing your souls left your body. Other people believe the opposite, that when you sneeze, that was a perfect opportunity for demons to enter your body so you'd say, bless you to stop them. I don't know who wants to swim up that stream, but apparently some demons do. <laughs> There's even a thing in America, you might have heard this as old wives tell, that your heart stops beating when you sneeze. It's not true, it's not true, but people say, oh, bless you, like, welcome back to life. Can we just agree that that is not how the Bible refers to blessing when it says blessing? 
Okay, good. Okay, so you got to look first at what the Hebrew writers did and how Jesus used the word blessed. What does Jesus say? Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. That is not because it's necessarily good to mourn or to be poor. What Jesus is saying in light of God's kingdom, it is available to everyone that God has stepped into our world to bring us the blessing of being back in a relationship with Him again. That's why we are blessed. It, you can be depressed, you can be poor, you are still invited into the kingdom, and that is why we are blessed. There are many prayers that Hebrews would use in terms of blessing in a Jewish life. Uh, one Jewish author says this, everything we do was to be preceded by and often ended by prayers. And those prayers are meant to be prayers of thanks and blessing. Uh, sometimes people will hear thunder and they get really afraid. Well, what they would pray is this, blessed are you, our God, King of the universe, for his strength and his power fill the world. The same writer says, isn't that better than telling a fearful child that God is bullying? Of course it is, of course it is. For the people reciting these Psalms on the way up to Jerusalem, they were reminding themselves of God's blessings as they were going. They may not have experienced everything in the Psalms personally, but they would see some of these things around them and that God was doing a work in the world and they would remind themselves of this. And the main thing that they would pray as they would go is this, but also this thing called the Amidah. The Amidah means standing. It's called the standing prayer because you pray it while standing. Very creative in that way. Uh, but they'd also call it the 18 or the 18 blessings because when you pray the Amidah while you were standing, you would pray the remembrance of 18 blessings that God has brought into our lives. And for an observant Jew, they'd recite this at each of their prayer services. The idea was a way to remember God, all the ways that He has blessed our lives, all the things that He has done, so we would center upon Him and then not upon ourselves. And rabbis taught that nothing, when you started to do the Amidah, the 18, should stop you from praying it. In the book, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, they said, if a king were to give one a greeting, one should not stop praying the Amidah to return the greeting. So imagine a king comes by, right? Like, I'm the king, hello. It's like, peasant, and you're just like, and you keep going because you're not supposed to stop praying the, the blessings God has given you. One of those could be the king is actually saying hi to you, but I don't know. Anyway, they, they say this, if a snake would curl around your ankles, you must not stop praying. It doesn't say you can't run away, I guess, right? Ah! And, right? <laughs> but you're not supposed to stop praying. And again, you're supposed to not sit down because you could fall asleep. So you're supposed to pray it while standing because you don't want to fall asleep while you're doing it. Rabbis would then say, never say the 18 when you're on a donkey. And I know you're thinking, great, done. Never been on a donkey, uh, I'm good. But this was the thing about being up high, above other people, feeling like you have something more than other people have. And they would say, you get down off the donkey, you get down on the earth where we live our lives, and that's where you say your thankfulness to God. Why? Because we live on the earth. Don't do it on a donkey. I think it's kind of cool and funny at the same time. All of this is what they said. We have to learn to bless the God who blesses us so richly. And this is why when you walk through the understanding of those steps of discipleship, from repentance, to trust, to worship, to service, to witness, to steadfast, to joy, to work, ultimately becoming a blessing, that we understand our blessings because we are called when we understand those to bless the world around us as well because we have first been blessed. The Amidah was so important that if someone was praying this and the prayer miss, messed up somewhere within the 18, they would stop them they would have them sit down, they'd bring somebody else up and have them start where the guy messed up. I mean, no pressure, 
right? I, I, I find it's hard to get half you guys to pray out loud. Imagine if you started praying something like, that's eh, not exactly right. Stop, someone else. You never pray again in front of people. But that's what they would do. And it was just simply meant to be this reminder of the blessings, remembering those are so important in our life. It's not a superstitious law, like someone, oh, you got to pray this thing or God's not going to love you. It was simply a way to honor God. For food, they would not say, oh, God, bless this food. They would say, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, for you nourish us and the whole world with goodness, grace, kindness, and mercy. Blessed are you, Lord, for you nourish the universe. Why would they say that? Because if you understand that at the beginning of everything, the world is first blessed by God, it's going to change our view of everything. We'll stop running around feeling like we're victims or entitled or owed something. We will start in a place of thankfulness for who God is. It changes our attitude. And that is not just something that happens in the Old Testament and the Psalms. This actually goes into the New Testament. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes to people, telling them to reflect on the goodness that God has brought in their lives, the goodness of the grace of our salvation. In Philippians 4.4, Paul will say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do we understand how many blessings we have actually received? And many times we don't because we don't even think about them. We just go through our life expecting good things to come our way. And when bad things happen, we're like, oh, where's God? When good things happen, we just kind of cruise right through it. How do we become joyful? How do we live in gratitude? Well, if you go to Element any length of time, you might see this coming, but we first go back to what the gospel is the good news of God's rescue where we are. We must be a people who come to the place of understanding God's good rescue of us so we naturally begin to live out in the world with a grateful attitude because all that we have is a gift from God's hands. And we get to be a people who begin to understand and live out our blessings. Guys, if you get bored in here today, I would encourage you not just to doodle, but to start just thinking of your blessings and write down what your blessings are. When you go out this week, if you, if you have some time somewhere, spend some time just thinking about the blessings God has put in your life and start to write those things down. Start to think through those things so you can be a thankful, grateful person. You understand those blessings. God wants us to bless those around us, to speak about the blessings we receive so people would see how good our God actually is. And I'm not trying to give you legalism, like be grateful, be a blessing, this is how. But in order to be a blessing, we must understand our blessings. We must repeat them and remember them of all that God has done. Do you know in Judaism, rabbis had rules about who was eligible to say certain blessings, like over a meal? They said, if you, did, if you didn't eat more than the volume of one olive, you weren't allowed to say the blessing over the meal because you didn't get enough. You got to have some. It's like, oh, yeah. So you can't just have one cookie. You got to have 10 cookies. And then you can say, thank you, Lord, for these cookies because they're so good. It, but that's the idea. They wanted people who had something to be grateful for to be able to speak about the blessing. And this is why when we come back to the gospel, we need to understand what the gospel is because when we understand it, we have a reason to speak about our blessing no matter what we go through in our lives. That Jesus came, he died, he rose from the dead for us in our place. That is essential for gratitude. Jewish people had different words for blessing. If there were 10 or 100 or 1,000 people in a room, they would change it so everybody was involved in that blessing. And so Psalm 128, they're going up to Jerusalem and they're singing about this blessing. And I'll tell you, it wasn't easy. 
it's sometimes it's really hot or a storm comes in out of nowhere and it is miserable. You're covered in mud and dirt and yuck and you can't get up a hill. But even in the middle of that, They were to think about their blessings. In the New Testament, Paul will do the same thing to the church in Rome. In Romans 15, 29, he will say, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. When Paul wrote that, he was in jail and in chains. It was not a great circumstance for him, which means blessing can even be in the midst of hardship and pain. The blessings are not just what we deem as good. It is everything that can come into our lives. Sometimes a struggle and a hardship can be a blessing. I did a funeral for a friend of mine this week, and there's a lot of questions of why, why this happens here, why this happens now. I don't know what God will do on the backside of this, but there are a lot of people who showed up at this funeral, and I was able to talk about Jesus, and I think that can make a difference. There's a reason God does what he does, and we may not understand it all. But God can be blessing in the midst of all of it. Matt Johnson writes this, Do you ever notice how God frequently shows up amidst your pitiful defeats rather than through your strengths? And I think it's one of the reasons we can know Christianity is true. Because nobody would have thought this up. Nobody, right? Think about it. Jesus is wrongly accused and convicted, dies on a piece of wood nailed to it, and that's our only hope of life and salvation? Really? Where's the happy spiritual pick-me-up? How does this help me to actualize my own potential? What's the practical meaning behind the cross? You know what the practical meaning behind the cross is? God's glory, salvation for our lost people, and blessing. That's what it is. That's what it is. Matt Johnson goes on and he says, God loves to show up when the chips are down, not when we're self-confident and able-bodied. Fortunately, God knows what is best for us himself. And he will rest at nothing until we receive our rest and identity in him. If getting there means having to undergo sufferings and trials so that we hunger for him instead of our own abilities, that's what he will do. That's what he does. The cross, what it does is it shows us we are powerless in trying to bless ourselves, our own self-salvation. The cross reminds us that God's purposes are accomplished even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of things that we don't like or equate with the word blessed. Sometimes, especially in suffering, is where we are going to be most blessed. And knowing that may not help you feel better in the midst of something terrible, but if you think about it, it might give you a bit of clarity and hope. God, what are you going to do out of this? What are you going to bring in the end with this? How do I trust you through each step of this? Because our lives are about His glory and not our own. And what we do know is this, that God deals ultimately with our sins once for all at the cross. We get blessed with restoration to God Himself in relationship. And that should, in turn, be or become a blessing to other people around us. Psalms like Psalm 128 are, again, on their way to Jerusalem to worship God, but they're still waiting for God's promised Redeemer, God's promised Messiah. We are a people who live after the cross and the resurrection, which means we have even more reason to understand our blessings. Blesses everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in His ways. We are a people who get to speak of God's great provision, speak of God's grace and God's goodness, so we can begin to live lives of gratitude when we understand what He has done, all that they look forward to is what God has ultimately done in Christ and then given to us. All those Jewish blessings, that's what they're ultimately about. And that's why discipleship leads to understanding blessing. Now, Robert Roberts, he is a Christian psychologist, and he writes this book called Spiritual Emotion, A Psychology of Christian Virtues. Most of it's good. Some of it's thick. He never answers the one question I want him to answer, and that is, is he grateful for his name, Robert Roberts? But anyway... uh, (laughs) 
But in the book, he talks about how Christians should be uniquely wired for worship and gratitude that we can, because of what Jesus has done, see the good in every circumstance. We can trust that God has good. We cannot manufacture gratitude by willpower because gratitude is a byproduct of beginning to see all of our blessings. And so it's a way of seeing the entire world differently. And so he says to do this, we have to have three factors in our lives that we understand. And I talked about this like 10 years ago in the Sermon on the Mount series, but he calls these three things bennies. And benny simply is the Latin word for good. And understanding blessings and being gratitude, understands three types of bennies. The first one is this, benefit, benefit. In order to be grateful, we must see and acknowledge that we have received gifts, most likely you know, from God himself, and the gift is a good thing for us to receive. This is why we see all things, whether we see it as good or not so good from the hand of God, because we understand that all can ultimately be a benefit to us. Psalm 103 verse two says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. What's the first benefit listed? It says, who forgives all your iniquity who forgives all your sin. Forget not all his benefits. Number one is that God has forgiven your sin. I mean, that's amazing. This is why I tell you this week, I'd like you to write down some of the blessings that you have received in your life. Think of all the good that God is continually doing, even in the midst of hardship, because he is good. We are not to forget his benefits and his blessings. We must understand our lives are filled with benefits and blessings from God. And so often we are blind to every single one of them and gratitude enables us to see them. The second thing he talks about, that gratitude requires a benefactor. A benefactor, again, the word benny, benevolence is like someone who wills the good. Benefactor is related to our word for factory, so it's one who does the good. So to be grateful means we must not just believe that benefits have come to us, but they've also come from someone. They are not random in our lives. They're not just chance. They come from somebody. And we must understand and believe that God as our benefactor has good intentions towards us, that God loves us. We must always believe that about God. This is why the writers of the Bible are so convinced about repeating and remembering these blessings. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. There is a good God, and he loves us, and he gives benefits to us all the time, and a life of discipleship will lead there. And the third thing, he says there has to be a beneficiary. A beneficiary is someone who receives the good, and that's, that's us. We are the beneficiaries of God's benefits, which he has given to us because God has our best interests at heart, which is worshiping him. We must trust that God intends good for us. Robert says this, in a Christian context, there must be gratitude, but in order to be truly grateful, we must believe we are receiving something we did not earn, merit, or deserve. If we believe we are owed something, we are not gonna be thankful for it. We're gonna be entitled. Now, Element has these ideas and plans what we'd like to do on the rest of this property. One of them is actually making a parking lot. What? I know, right? Uh, you know, building a children's center to help the kids at Delta and also some of you guys as well. All these different things. And so we have these plans and ideas. And if somebody, one of you came up to us and said, here's a few million dollars, make that happen, we would be overwhelmed with gratitude. We'd be like, oh my goodness, wow, that, that, that's amazing. But we are not overwhelmed with gratitude at the person who sold us this property because we paid for this property. I mean, we don't, we say, somebody might say, thank you for you know, accepting our offer in this, but you know, it's not thank you for my gift of the debt to the bank. We're not doing that because we bought something, we are owed it. Now, the default mode of people, I don't think just in America, but the entire world today is entitlement. 
We believe that a gift or an experience or something is rightfully ours. We are owed this thing. And this is why in our world today, we can get more and more and more and more and feel less and less and less grateful. We have a sin nature within us, and it convinces us that anything we think we might want, we deserve, and we are entitled to. And we even act like if we don't get the thing that we want, well, somebody failed, or God failed, or the government failed, and someone's got to figure this out. John Ortberg once wrote this, The truth is that the more we think we are entitled to, the less we will be grateful for. And this is why this psalm, when you get here in this step, is centered on God's blessing. Do you always feel like your kids are a blessing? Okay, you know, just it's, but they are. They're from the hand of God, right? Do you always feel like maybe your, your workplace that is difficult is a blessing? Well, well, no, but it is a blessing. Do you feel like the hardships in your life are a blessing? No, but they are. Everything comes from the hand of God. Of God, so we trust Him in the midst of the things that we go through. His, these pilgrims are meant to understand to be grateful for everything that they were going through. And for us today, we, des we didn't deserve our salvation, we're not entitled to it, but God gives it to us as a gift. And again, it goes back to the why of the psalm, the daily reminder to thank God for all of our blessings, all of our benefits. The Jews would do this in two standard daily prayers that they would say. Now, the first one is called the Shema. Shema simply means here. It's from Deuteronomy 6, 4. The first word, hear, O Israel, the word of God, the word is one. Him you shall love with all your heart and soul and strength because he's a great God. And the second one is that Amadah, the 18, 18 blessings or 18 benedictions. A benediction simply means good words. And so any prayer that started with the word bless was like a benediction. To bless is to speak good to somebody or about what somebody has done. And so what we do is we speak good and we bless and we thank God. Even after Jesus' death and resurrection, in Acts chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. Well, the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, where did they go in to pray? Part of it is the Amidah, the, the, the blessings. And you'd go to the temple to do that because it was a reminder of God's provision and blessing. Now, if you extrapolate that out to us today, for us and our understanding of the gospel, we should expand past 18 things. We should have much more than 18. Everything we do should be an occasion to understand that God has blessed us. Every morning, whether you want to or not, you wake up, boom. God, thanks for another day. If you had a bad day before, God, please make this one go better than the one yesterday. <laughs> but I'm awake and thank you for another day. Blessed are you, our Lord, our God, King of the universe. You get up and you, and you go to the bathroom. God, thank you for a toilet that hauls that away somewhere. I don't got to look at wherever that goes. Uh, you take a shower. Thank you, God, for running water so I don't have to stink. Every meal, thank you, Jesus, that, that I have this meal. It's everything that we go through. Friendships. Uh, you, have a, you have a cell phone. You get lost in your, oh, Facebook. Ah, you got a phone. It's, and you can communicate with people just about instantly. They don't send you to voicemail when you call them. You know, the, the principle is that we thank and we bless and we love God for every gift because God has first blessed us. This is why discipleship leads to here, an understanding of our blessing. Every week at Element, we take you to this place of communion. And communion is that reminder, again, of what God did to rescue us. We thank Jesus for that. We have to be most thankful for our salvation, freely given, because Jesus paid for it. We couldn't buy our salvation. We can't buy our way back into God's graces. Our sin had separated us from him. 
And so Jesus comes and does that for us. We are beneficiaries of his grace. He's the benefactor. As a matter of fact, when Jesus kind of institutes this thing that we call communion, Matthew 26, verses 26 and 27, it says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, knowing what the bread was gonna represent, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. He gives thanks for these things. They're going to represent his death in just a few hours. He's saying, this is what I am going to do for you. We are told in the book of Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endures the cross. We are told that we have received blessings and Jesus sees himself going to the cross and the agony that that was going to be as a blessing for his people. And this is why, as I said, every week we come to that place of communion as that reminder that we have received the greatest blessing of all, which is our salvation. And what you do is you take communion, you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken, like Christ broke the bread, and you drink the grape juice as a reminder that his blood was shed for you and me to bring us to himself. We are the beneficiaries of a God who has deemed to love and save and draw us back to himself. The band's going to come up. As they do, you take communion. If you need prayer this morning, maybe you are in a place where you don't understand the certain things that are coming into your life or uh, the hardships and trials you are going through and you want someone to pray with you through that so that maybe you might begin to be able to see the blessings that God is bringing about. Well, we'd love to be able to do that. Talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center. She'll connect you with somebody so that we can begin to understand everything in our lives can somehow work out to the place of understanding God's great blessing over every single one of us. Because God is good. God is good. And so often we cruise through life not even thinking about it or realizing it. And one of the things that the scriptures are meant to do, especially these Psalms of Ascent, is to keep bringing us back to the place where we'd remember and repeat, this is what God has done. This is what God continues to do. And it would so take our hearts and just you know, make us putty before him and mush, be like, yes, God, you're so good. What do you want me to do? And we would just live that way in thankfulness and grace because he is simply that good. Those are the people we need to become. Those who understand every day the blessings. And this is why I'd encourage you this week to start to write those things down. I think one of the questions in the sermon notes is, can you come up with 18 different things that you are blessed for, that you can write down and be thankful for? Just, and I think we probably could if we sit down in a group and do it. So see if you can do that this week. Uh, uh, they're offering boxes next to every door we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship. We don't pass the plate. It's always meant to be a response to what God has done because God has blessed us, so we give as well. And again, grab those sermon notes, find some people this week, and maybe talk through some of those questions uh, in your own time with God, morning, evening, whenever it is. Take that you know, little prayer that's in there each day and take that question and answer that question and just reflect on what it means to be a thankful, grateful people before our great God who has rescued us and loves us and saves us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would move us to be a people who understand our blessings more and more. Guys, if we're, God, if we're honest, we are a people who kind of cruise through life when things are going well, and we don't much remember to thank you for every little thing that comes our way. And I ask that you'd begin to change that in us, that we'd be a people who are more prone to thank you and less prone to complain. That our lives would be marked by the hope that you have given us because you are good. 
I ask that we would then, as we live this grateful, thankful life, understanding our blessings, that we would touch those around us, understanding how that could actually infect the world with hope as well, because we're not a people who have no hope. We're a people who have, should have so much hope because we have first been blessed. So teach us to begin to walk out in this world knowing the blessings that we have received. And when hard times come, I ask that your spirit moves us back to the place of understanding the great benefits that we have received from you, first and foremost, in our salvation. And that would in turn change how we go through those different circumstances. That you would be glorified in all things because, because you are our great rescuer. That we would come to you as we are, not who we one day hope to be, but as we are now. And we'd allow you to change us to be the people that you intend for us to be. And that all that would bring you glory. And we'd worship you every day walking in discipleship. We ask that in your son's good name. Amen.